This week on Myths and Legends, we are in a classic story from Slavic folklore, and you'll see why there's no better wingman than a wizard, especially when dating involves fighting actual dragons. The creature this time is a tiny craftsman, and a lesson about why you shouldn't let demons staff your HR department. This is Myths and Legends, episode 179, Grateful Dead. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. The story this week is a classic Slavic fairy tale set in Russia in the Middle Ages. There are dragons, wizards, monsters, and a czar who doesn't want his son to die. The youngest. He doesn't want his youngest son to die. He doesn't really care about the older two. The czar sat down with his youngest son. So, you want to go out there, fight monsters, and see the world, like your two older brothers, huh? The young man grinned more than anything. The czar took a deep breath. Look, when I was a kid, I loved the patriarchal system, where firstborns get to be the king with no qualifications whatsoever. I was all about it. Now that I'm on the other side of it, though, oh, so many problems. Like, think about it. I'm supposed to hand off my kingdom to someone who has never had to work for anything ever and just hope everything works out for the best. And I was one of the lucky ones. I had three sons. And I had one who was smart, hardworking, wise, and most importantly, good, empathetic. Your brothers, the ones that outranked you for the throne, have all left on dangerous quests. Who knows when they're going to return? Notice the wink? Look, the czar continued. I know you want to go out there and win glory and all that stuff that doesn't really matter, but Slavic legends, they're brutal. There's a woman who lives in a house on chicken legs who, if you manage to escape her house without being eaten alive, you'll come back with a magic skull that will set me on fire. You don't want that. I certainly don't. Or maybe you want to go up against the crazy evil wizard who rides around the countryside naked and is known for his inability to die. Look, you're a good kid. You have nothing to prove, and you don't need to follow the paths of your brothers. The conversation being over, the czar rose. But the conversation wasn't over. Not for Sila, the youngest son. He had grown up on the stories of old, like Prince Ivan and the Firebird, or Prince Ivan and Vasilisa, or Prince Ivan and Bulat the Brave. Wow, somebody at some point should pick a different name for a protagonist. But the lesson remained the same. Sila had to leave to know if he was worth his position. So, he got things ready in secret, commissioned a ship, picked his bags, and on the morning of his departure, when he was going to set out in the world to fight all manner of monsters, witches, and nude wizards, he found his father standing in front of the ship. The Tsar had his ways of finding things out, and he knew his son was leaving. But when Sila vowed that he would leave with or without the Tsar's permission, whether on a ship, on horseback, or on foot, the czar sighed. Having a child that was smart, driven, and relentless in the pursuit of his goals was a double-edged sword, and the czar could see that he had lost this battle even before it began. His son was his own person, and would be who he was going to be, and the best thing he could do was just get on board and support him as much as possible. 
but not literally get on board the ship. He still had a kingdom to run. So the Tsar sighed and stepped out of the way, provisioning the ship even more and telling his son that when he had found what he needed to find out there, to please come home, there will be a kingdom waiting for him. Sila, on the deck of the ship, pointed out to something in the water. Uh, what's that? The captain looked out. Hmm, stone coffin wrapped in iron bands. Huh, how's that thing floating, and why hasn't the iron rusted in the water? Let's avoid it. Remember what your dad said about, well, all the horrible things out here in Slavic folklore? Nothing good ever comes from letting a coffin hitch a ride. Sila pursed his lips. And how would the captain feel if his coffin was floating in the open ocean, unable to be buried? The captain blinked. He thought he would be cool with it, because he'd be dead. Look, Sila was the boss, unless... Mutiny? Anyone? No. He was getting a lot of head shakes for now. So Sila was the boss, but this seemed like a horrible idea. Sila said that that was noted, and directed the men to pull over to the coffin and drag it aboard. The captain sighed as it was dragged aboard. The stone was scraping the finish and, oh nice, it was covered in arcane gibberish. This was all very okay and good. He looked up. (sighs) And there's a tempest. Fun. They barely made it through the storm, but when the skies finally cleared, nearly a day and a half later, they found themselves off the coast of a land that none of the sailors recognized. Sela ordered that they put to shore, the coffin be buried, and that everyone set up a camp. He was going to do some questing, and if he didn't make it back, they were free to leave without him. The captain stepped away from the men, digging a hole for the body inside the stone coffin, to talk to Sila, who was getting outfitted for his journey. Okay, but how long should they wait? Would he be back in a few days? Weeks? Sila thought about it. Eh, maybe a bit longer. He didn't want them leaving without him by accident. How about two years? The captain wasn't quite believing what he was hearing. Two years? Like, we have families back home. What are you worried is going to happen? You going to get captured and end up in a dungeon or something? Sila gasped. He hadn't even thought of that. He would need time to slowly work his way up in the prison hierarchy in order to organize an escape. Better wait for me for three years. Ah, you. Always thinking ahead. That's why you're the captain. Sila left speechless sailors and ventured off into the woods. He wasn't quite sure what his destination was, so it didn't really matter where he was going. He had enough provisions for a few weeks, a sword he had only used in training with his father's guards, and no idea what he was going to do or where he was going to go. This should go well. Just then, he heard the sound of something, someone rushing toward him in the forest. He drew his sword. His adventure started... Now. The man, dressed in all white, approached him and dropped to his knees. Sila smirked smugly. First battle, won. So should he kill the man now, or... The man, though, was kissing Sila's feet, saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Sila said that he probably didn't do anything worth thanking that much. What was going on? The man laughed. Yeah, Most people don't expect the dead to rise. 
the prince's sailor sure didn't when they pried open the coffin to give a man a proper burial. But if the prince didn't rescue him from the ocean, he would have been stuck floating there in the water forever. Sela introduced himself and said it was nothing. It was what he would want someone to do if he were floating dead on the waves. But the man was alive. How? The stranger, in his mid-forties and dressed in all white, looked to the ground. He was not alive, not truly. He was a wizard, Sela. His name was Avashka. He came from a different time. And his own mother, she said that he was an abomination a threat to mankind because of his magic. Of course, she said this after her men ambushed him and stuffed him in a stone coffin as he laid there, suffocating in the dark, feeling the waves pull him farther from home. He knew what he had to do. Before death took him, he preserved his last bit of life. He would live. And then, as the minutes turned to hours and the hours turned to days, he realized just how disastrous that decision had been. He lost track of time, floating there in the waves, drifting in the dark. He couldn't die until he gave away that spark of life, but he couldn't live. He couldn't move more than a few inches, so he floated there in that liminal state, waiting for someone, anyone, to save him. And Sila saved him. That one basic kindness had saved Ivashka's life, and he would forever be in the prince's debt giving Sila all the help that was in his power to give. He almost dreaded the question, but he asked if a certain man was still the Tsar of Russia. Sila grimaced. That was his great-grandfather. It looked like Avashka had been trapped in that coffin for over 100 years. Avashka swallowed hard. 100 years. His wife, his father, all of his friends, dead. He nodded. There was work to be done and he had a debt to repay. Now that he was back in the world, he could see things. A lot had changed, but there was still a family near here. Hmm. Interesting. Avashka trailed off, and Scylla had to rouse him from thought. He blinked. Did Scylla want to get married? Princess Truda was beautiful, and... Say no more, yes, Scylla said. Point me in the direction of her castle. He gestured with his sword. Wizard mentor? And now he was seeking a beautiful princess's hand? Now this was a quest. Sila stood, horrified, before the palisade, a fence made out of stakes. Each one of them had a young man's head mounted on it, in various states of decay. Uh, what's this? Sila shuddered. Avashka said that they were all men that had tried for the princess's hand before. Every single one of them. Sila gasped. Why didn't Avashka say anything? Avashka said he tried, but Sila literally said, say no more. Sila couldn't believe this. That was a figure of speech. Avashka said that he had been trapped in a coffin for 100 years. His social skills were rusty. Anywho, Sila should ask for her hand in marriage. That would go fine. Sila was still staring at an open spike. How could that possibly go fine? Avashka could only point at himself. Wizard. Sila was unmoved. His eyes were fixed on the open spike. He, he felt like that spike was his spike. Like if he went in that castle, that spike 
was the only way he would ever leave it. Ivashka pursed his lips. Okay, that's nonsense. Don't be ridiculous. They rotate them out as they decay past the point of being able to stay up there, so really, any one of these could be yours. Let me get this straight, the king said. You're the Tsarevich of Russia, and you want to marry my daughter, Princess Truda. Uh, absolutely. Sila asked, so there weren't any deadly chariot races or rigged contests for her hand or anything? Nothing that would end in his death? The king cocked an eyebrow. Uh, no? Oh, the spikes? Don't worry about those. Those guys weren't a Tsarevich, prince of Russia. Let's get this wedding planned for, like, today. Sila couldn't really believe it was that easy. He looked at Avashka, who only smiled and nodded, mouthing the word, wizard. The king was eager to move forward, so they did. He informed his daughter, Princess Truda, that she was getting married that afternoon, and the nobles were ordered to clear their schedules. They were having a wedding. And it was magnificent. It was the happiest day of Sila's life, being married to the woman he had known for less than three hours and hadn't spoken to yet. They had a reception, and Sila shook hands with the nobles, his new nobles. Avashka was by his side the whole time, and Sila turned to the wizard. Hey, was it just him, or did these guys seem bored? The wizard nodded. I mean, yeah, they did. You would be too if you did this as many times as they have. Sila turned back. As many times? As many times as what? Wait, she's been married before? How many times? The wizard looked out to all the pikes, with all the heads on them. Uh, I don't know. Sixty-ish times? However many heads are out there. Sila staggered back. He thought those were just suitors. She had been married 60 times before, and all her previous husbands are dead? You're fine. You're in good hands, wizard hands. Don't worry about it, Ivashka said, patting him on the back. Oh, one more thing. You can't touch or speak to your wife on your wedding night, or else your head will be on the pike. Sila couldn't believe what he was hearing. What, what was the point of the wedding night if they couldn't talk or touch? Ivashka laughed. Well, for him, it was surviving the night. She'll try everything she can to embrace you, but remember, don't talk to her or, you know, or you'll die. Now Avashka had to go. Sila stepped in front of him. No, he wasn't going anywhere. Explain what's going on, now. Avashka sighed. Did he have to spell it out? She was tormented by an evil spirit who came to her each night in the form of a man. And before you ask, yes, like that. But the spirit arrived in the form of a six-headed dragon. Now, if Sila avoids touching her or speaking to her, everything should be fine. But if she touches your chest and presses it, you need to take out a stick and beat her until her strength is gone. Sila was wide-eyed. He didn't know if he was cool with that. Avashka pursed his lips and nodded. Yeah, folklore, am I right? Sila asked if he could at least know if he was beating an evil spirit or... Avashka shook his head. Who's to say? But yeah, he would be beating a young woman until she can't stand because she's the victim of a monster that comes to visit her in the night. Sila ran his fingers through his hair. Ooh. 
Folklore was usually pretty hard on women, but wow, the story's really saying the quiet part out loud this week, huh? Vashka nodded. Anyway, he'd leave a stick in the room just in case Sila needed it. I'm pretty much 100% gonna need it, aren't I? Sila asked. Vashka smiled awkwardly and went to prepare. We'll see what happens when Sila is alone with his murderous new wife, but that will be right after this. Why won't you talk to me? Truda asked. She glanced at the window. Come on, you have to talk to me. I need you to talk to me. Sila only shook his head. Avashka had warned him of all this. He would trust the wizard and... Ooh, this was going to be much more difficult than he thought. Truda's eyes turned from anger and fear to... something else. And she started walking towards Sila. She had... ways of making him talk. He swallowed hard and stepped back, stumbling over himself and landing on the bed. In a flash, Truda was on top of him, pressing on his chest. She took his breath away. Like, literally took his breath away. Her hand was crushing his chest. He was suffocating. He grabbed the stick that Avashka had left by his bedside, would have said sorry if he was allowed to talk to her, and followed Avashka's orders. Truda's eyes flashed red, and she was pushed back. Then, Sila heard the wings at the window. A shadow shot in, and before Sila knew what was happening, he found himself on the floor, claws piercing clothes and skin, and the six heads of the dragon dripping saliva in his face. He braced himself for the death that he knew was coming, as one of the heads lunged at him, and then fell lifeless at his side. He was staring into a severed neck hole. He looked up, and Avashka stood at the door, sword in hand, and as he chased the dragon off Sila, the fight began. The first beheading was the easy one, because Avashka battled the dragon for three hours, while Sila kept Truda at bay. When the second head fell to the floor, and then Truda collapsed, Avashka, bathed in sweat and dragon blood, said that Sila could go to sleep and fear nothing. Sila, I guess, put a row of pillows between him and his wife who had been trying to suffocate him just hours before, and passed out. I can't believe she was possessed by a dragon. I am so glad that's over, Sila said to Avashka the next morning, when he snuck away from the room to find the wizard sleeping outside of it, sword in hand. <laughs> over? But did you count that thing's heads? Six. I was only able to cut off two. This isn't over, not by a long shot. Don't talk to her, don't touch her, until I tell you to. The king was surprised that Sila was alive the next day and was very happy he didn't have to send an envoy back to Russia to tell the Tsar that the man's son had died in his house. They partied all day until bed. At bedtime, Avashka and Sila put away all pretense. Avashka crouched in the room, and Sila huddled in a corner, gripping the stick and shaking his head at Truda, warning her to stay back. Avashka leapt from the shadows when the dragon flew in the room, slicing a head off immediately 
And then, after another three-hour-long fight, slicing the second head off, the dragon fled, Truda fainted, and Ivashka took both of the heads, once again, to be burned, before collapsing outside of his friend's door with a sword in hand. When the sun set on the third day, the dragon nearly caught Ivashka and Sila off guard, and it was a long, grueling battle between wizard and dragon, but eventually, Ivashka prevailed. With a thud, the dragon's sixth and final head landed on the ground. The monster's body was a slimy, bloody heap, and Sila, for the first time in three days, breathed. He rushed to his wife, Truda, to take her into his arms, but he found only the broad edge of Avashka's sword separating the pair. Not yet. He needed help burning this thing before dawn. Sila sighed. It was the least he could do after everything Avashka had done for him. Between his preparations and a cumulative nine hours of dragon fighting over three days, Sila could take the time to help the man burn the dragon that he had killed for the prince. Then, Sila could return and finally be with his beautiful wife. Yeah, Avashka sheathed the sword. We'll talk about that on the way. A year? Sila screamed. Avashka covered the man's mouth while they dragged the bagged body of the dragon through the empty streets. Come on, not so loud. Yeah, one year. You can't talk to her or be together for one year. The spell that's needed is a complicated one. It requires a lot. And we can't be here when we do it. So I'll get things ready, and you win the favor of the king, so that, after a year, when you ask about taking his daughter back to Russia, he'll say yes. Also, to keep up appearances, you'll need to sleep in the same room as the woman who wants to, and is still extremely capable of, crushing your chest with her hand. So, uh, have fun with that. Ah, here we are. They were at the field that already had four charred dragon skulls, and together, the men hefted the dragon body onto the pyre. It burned through the night and into the morning, and the pair returned the following day, after spreading the ashes on the wind. The next year was awkward. The king loved his son-in-law. The princess, when she wasn't trying to collapse his ribs and murder him, merely tolerated him. Ivashka was a classic wizard, disappearing for weeks at a time to go to this city or that. The king gave his son-in-law's wizard his own room in the tower, and it quickly became filled with tomes and trinkets and potions. Finally, at the end of the year, Ivashka appeared in Sila's door. It was time to go. It was an easy ask. Sila had spent the year ingratiating himself to the king, so when he asked if he could take his daughter back home, to Russia, to be his queen, the king was more than happy to oblige. When he offered the man an armed entourage to take him home, Sila slapped the wizard on the back. As long as his friend was with them, they'd be safe. Vashka smiled weakly before the king. The king threw up his hands. Well, Sila had survived this long with his daughter, so he had to be doing something right. Sila said, yeah, you seem pretty oblivious to the whole dragon thing, yet you put the heads on the spikes outside of the city. The king replied that he had no idea why the men were dying, and frankly, he had been scared to ask his daughter, when your daughter is murdering that many people, and looks at you with glowing red eyes, eh, just leave it be. 
the heads were a solid deterrent for anyone wanting to put themselves in harm's way and marry his daughter. It worked too, unless they had their own personal wizard. The king forced them to accept four horses, one for each person and one for the treasure that he was giving his daughter and son. The whole city came out to see the trio off and Avashka rode up beside Sila. Wait until they were out of sight of the city and then bind her. Today was the day. Today, all Truda's troubles would end. She didn't resist much, and they ponied Truda's horse until they were halfway to the ships. Then, Avashka asked Sila to set up the tents where he prepared the spell. Sila could prepare two tents tonight. His wife would be cured. When the time was right, he beckoned Sila to lead Truda to the fire that the wizard had built. Sila, I have to tell you something, the wizard said with hesitation as Sila got closer. That spell I was preparing, it wasn't to cure her, to get the evil spirits out of her. There are too many. The spell I was preparing was for you. It was at that moment that Sila realized that he couldn't move. Whatever Avashka had done, he was completely immobilized. Avashka drew his dagger as he moved toward Princess Truda, the princess that Sila had bound. The woman pulled away from Sila, and her eyes flashed with hate, then terror. She stumbled and screamed out, but her cries were only heard by the earth, the trees, and the mountains. There was no one coming to help her. There was no saving her, Avashka said as he approached the woman. I knew from the moment I saw her that she was beyond help. This was the only way. Avashka looked Truda in the eyes, saying that if she was still in there, he was sorry she had to experience this. The wizard plunged the dagger into her stomach. The princess screamed, and from her stomach, a hundred beans like snakes of pure darkness lunged at the wizard. With another slash of his dagger, Avashka put Truda out of her misery, killing her instantly, and then he went to work. Sila stood there frozen as the man he thought of as his mentor, a friend, the one who just killed his wife, tore the monsters, the evil spirits that had been living inside the body of the woman he loved, out of her, and tossed each one of them into the fire. They died screeching and writhing in ash and flame. When it was finished, when the last of the beans were out of Truda, Avashka dropped to his knees, cradling the woman and saying a few words. It was at this time that Sila collapsed to the ground. The spell had worn off, and he hadn't been holding himself up. He quickly recovered and had his sword in hand. He pressed it to Avashka's neck, saying that Avashka had to answer for her life. And the man looked up to him with a smile. It was at that moment that Sila realized that Avashka was old. Avashka's wrinkled lips curled and his white hair fluttered to the ground in clumps. He set Truda down. Avashka tried to rise, but he couldn't. He said that when he first met Sila, he told the young man two things. One, he owed Sila his life. And two, he couldn't die until he gave away that spark of life. So, 
today, he did both. He gave his life to save Princess Truda. Sila dropped his sword and scooped the pale, skeletal form of his friend up into his arms. No, he saved Vashka. After everything they had been through, the man couldn't die on him now. Wasn't there something, some quest, some spell that could save him? Some old magic that could preserve him? Ivashka laughed and then coughed, his teeth spilling from his mouth. He said that Sila didn't understand. Ivashka had died a hundred years ago. His body was now just catching up. <sighs> At least he got to say goodbye. He looked at Truda. She would no longer be troubled by the evil spirits that had been with her her whole life. Avashka looked back to his friend, his cloudy eyes losing focus. It had been an honor to know such a good man, and he wished the prince, his friend, a long and happy life. Avashka died in Sila's arms. Truda awoke to the world for the first time in years the next morning. Her hands went to her torso, to her shredded dress, but the holes on her abdomen and throat were healed. She left the tent to find Sila in tears. He, at first, recoiled from her touch, but when he saw that she was different, that Avashka had really cured her, they embraced. Together, they collected the dust of the wizard that had saved them both of Avashka, who had fought the dragon and had freed a young woman to a wonderful life where she could be everything she was meant to be. And they spread his ashes where he would want them to be spread. Like the plains, the forest, the mountains, really anywhere but the sea. He had spent enough time there. When they arrived back at the ships, Sila was surprised to see the men still there. They said they were just as surprised as he was. Let's not worry about it. Together, they all sailed home. They spent two years with the Tsar of Russia, who was ecstatic that the one son he wanted to come home had returned. And after the old Tsar died, Sila put a steward in charge. His wife wanted to experience her homeland, free of the demons that had plagued her for her entire life. So they returned, and the king crowned Truda and Sila queen and king. And when the happy couple had a son, there was only one name that was fitting. They named him Avashka. That's it for this week. If you want to read the original, I posted it on the website. And if you're wondering about the name of this episode and the famous band, yeah, they actually are related. There are specific categories of stories from folklore, and Grateful Dead, of a dead person being grateful, is one of them. I read that when the band needed a new name, someone pulled out a folklore dictionary, found this category, and the rest was history. If you'd like to support the show, one, you can just keep doing what you're doing right now, listening or posting it on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, but if you'd like to support it monetarily, we have extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show at support.mythpodcast.com and our store with a bunch of new items at mythpodcast.com slash store.
The creature this week is the Shemir from Jewish folklore. The Shemir was created on the sixth day, was no bigger than a grain of barley, and was way too strong. It didn't do much in the Garden of Eden, but when things went badly there, it made a pact with its buddy, the wood grouse, a bird, and was flown to safety. It was summoned one time in the next few thousand years to Mount Sinai to, according to legend, etch out the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. Stone was nothing, though. The Shemir can eat through diamonds without leaving dust behind. Hanging out with its buddy, the wood grouse, for a few thousand more years, the Shemir thought that the good times might never end. Then, along came a demon snitch. As we've talked about previously, some legends say that King Solomon had a demon work crew obedient to him, one that he bound with a ring from the archangel Michael when it came to building the first temple. Well, he had some problems. He was apparently forbidden from using iron on the temple, so he needed something else to carve the stones. Enter the Shemir. One of the most prominent demons present at the building of the temple was Asmodeus. Asmodeus told Solomon that he didn't have the Shemir, but he knew who did. The next day, one of Solomon's men hid by the wood grouse's nest after placing a piece of glass over it. When the wood grouse let the Shemir down and the little guy immediately broke the glass, the servant leapt up at the sound, scared off the bird, and imprisoned the Shemir in wool encased in lead, the only thing that could hold the creature. Allowed out of the prison on the condition that he work on the temple, this is actually the last we hear of the Shemir from folklore. But... It said that the wood grouse was so distraught over breaking its oath to its friend, after failing to protect it over the course of thousands of years, that the wood grouse took its own life. The lesson here is not for the Shamir. The Shamir did nothing wrong. In fact, it was so willing to help out before that it just showed up on Mount Sinai when asked. The real lesson here is, when it comes to recruiting and retaining employees, maybe don't listen to demons. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There's a list of even more music in the show notes. I want to say thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring us this week. Are you stuck at home, feeling isolated and worried? BetterHelp offers online professional counselors who can help through video or phone sessions. Fill out a questionnaire and get matched with a counselor you'll love in less than 24 hours. Get professional help when you want it, wherever you are. BetterHelp is a truly affordable option, and our listeners get 10% off your first month with the discount code LEGENDS. Go to betterhelp.com legends. All right, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.